We find that health, sickness are not necessarily big agendas for particularly SME employers. Yet there's lots that we can do. Simple things like making availability of um, apps that will give access to uh, virtual GPs. You can use a cash plan to get people to see a medical specialist ahead of the queue. Okay, it's not full health insurance, but it doesn't have the cost of medical insurance. It's sort of pounds per week. So there are things we can do, but it does tend to be a blind spot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Recruitment Podcast. It's your host, Neil Carberry here, and I'm about to serve up some thought-provoking discussion with the leading voices in the sector. Keep listening as we delve into the hottest issues in recruitment and staffing right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Delighted to have you joining us today for another discussion about things that are of interest to uh, recruiters around the country. And we're looking at one of those big issues at at the moment uh, in terms of uh, reward and recognition of staff. We're going to have a a dive into uh, benefits alongside pay with our guest today. But before I do that, quick insight into the world of the REC uh, right now. Uh, Clearly, the budget on the 15th of March was a big moment for the government and we saw some uh, changes from what we were hearing last year in terms of the focus of the government. Maybe some of those themes came back. The Chancellor said the words industrial strategy. Uh, The Chancellor addressed some of the big issues businesses including the REC have been putting on the table around, for instance, childcare, around labour shortages. But I think when you step back from it, there's still a lot in there that needs work. You know, the childcare response will take a while to come to market. And there are big questions about the ability of the supply side to deliver. There wasn't very much on skills at all. No real progress on our long term need to reform the apprenticeship levy. And while there was some words on supply chain compliance and tax compliance, Um, that would affect the industry and the budget. There was really nothing on the kind of umbrella company regulation that we really need to protect good agencies. So lots still for the REC to do in the budget. Looking out of the window to the the, uh, market, what we're seeing at the moment is a gentle slowdown from last year, but still a relatively uh, robust picture. Temporary uh, demand is, is still growing according to this month's Uh, a report on jobs and the jobs outlook data that we see from from recruiters clients is still pretty positive through the next few few months. Um, Turning to the permanent market, that has softened a bit over the last few months, but from very high levels of activity uh, in the the middle and later part of 2022. So we'd expect that to happen. Overall, Activity high, maybe softening a little in March, but still a good market in which to be a recruiter, driven, of course, by some of those shortages that the Chancellor was talking about. It's quite a lot of big economic weather outside the window just now, driven by higher interest rates. In particular, you're seeing some challenges in the banking sector, uh, both in the United States and with Credit Suisse in Europe. But actually, there's a sense there that um, central banks 
will take action and bank balance sheets are actually in a better position than they uh, than they might have been if you go back to 2008 2009 the general picture here is one of uh, low and slow growth in most countries through this year and next year and in fact if growth takes off if we have a little bit of a bubble we might expect to see central banks squash that a little bit to keep inflation down overall we're looking at a market that feels as though it might be pretty stable on the uh over the next uh over the next couple of years but with that big pace of technological change and we've all been reading about gpt4 over the course of the last few days and and what it might do do look out for some upcoming rec work on technology and reshaping our industry later in the spring which will be really exciting in terms of further engagement with your rec do check out the Talking Recruitment webinar. That's on the 23rd of March. A really uh, fantastic opportunity to talk about some of the work we're doing around that uh, reshaping market. Uh, but don't do also come and see us. Uh, I'm in uh, Cambridge uh, this uh, this month for a session with uh, members. I know our team are in Yorkshire on the 30th of March. And of course, uh, helping out members with the compliance assessment which all members who haven't done it in the last two years uh, have to do before the 30th of june and there's a session coming up in march and another one uh, later in the spring uh, for, to help you through that so as always get in touch with your rec for the with the questions that you have looking forward uh, to meeting members around the around the country looking forward at the end of march to the recruitment agency expo where i will be speaking and the rec team will be so lots of activity uh, making sure we're hearing your voice and taking it to the media to clients to governments and uh, and to each other which is the core purpose of course of the rec now, let's turn to today's discussion. I'm delighted to welcome to the uh, podcast uh, Steve Johnson, who's a growth leader for commercial workplace savings at uh, Mercer Marsh Benefits. Steve, welcome to the REC podcast. Thank you, uh, Neil, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. So, Steve, um, you work in the development of uh, workplace savings programmes uh, for employers and employees uh, across uh in industry and you've been uh, doing that for some time clearly it's a, a an area where the the purpose is about helping employees lead the lives they want to lead but for us as employers as recruiters we're also wanting to retain and engage people in the workplace aren't we absolutely and uh, for me it's a fascinating place to live in the workplace savings because it's a regulatory requirement so from one side, you're coming from the big stick of government that it's got to be done. But if we can get ourselves past that, it can be a fantastic way of engaging people and also dealing with some of the problems that we're going to face as businesses, because people are living longer, yet productivity is not necessarily going to keep up with the longevity of their lives. So we need bigger pots in our pensions to enable us to leave the workplace so it's a fascinating field for me at the moment. Uh, no, I'm going to declare an interest now because it will become massively uh, obvious to listeners to the podcast as we go on. that I am a massive pensions geek. And the reason for that is I was uh, in a previous job. I was the CBI's head of policy on on pensions at the time of the 
the 2008 Pensions Act and all the changes that came through about uh, sort of 12 to uh, 15 years ago now. Um, so uh, my enthusiasm on this is just as great as my enthusiasm for uh, recruitment and staffing, uh, which is very great indeed. Um, but as we explore this, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that lots of people don't think about pensions as much as they think about pay. And of course, at the moment, we're seeing a big pay squeeze across uh, the economy as inflation's ru running up towards the double digits. If we think about it from the point of view of the average REC member who would be an SME business, what are the key challenges you're seeing for them right now in this field? So... What I'm going to do, first of all, is talk about some of the key challenges that we're seeing generally. And it's interesting, the business I work for is both a risk and a uh, people consultancy. And one of the things that research we did last year that was very interesting, risk managers and HR people are converging on what they think are the key people risks. One of them is really not part of today's discussion to an extent, cybersecurity and data privacy. But if you think about it, actually, for recruiters, that does have some issues because if you're going to be um, contracting with larger businesses, trading with uh, financial services and legal, that's a big issue in terms of data security. And I don't know if uh, any of your listeners today have uh, recently been involved in a startup, but try setting up a bank account in the UK. Horrendous. But getting onto the areas that workplace savings addresses first of all big issue every time i'm talking to customers new prospective customers the biggest thing that comes through the great resignation um we've got one million vacancies in the uk economy and you said it yourself Neil. the government have tried to do something to alleviate that free childcare, but it's going to be some years down the road before we get to that um having an impact in full i was interested in the return of ships the um, apprenticeship version for the over 50s, because that's a great field of fantastic talent that perhaps has drifted away from the workplace. We've also got the changing nature of work. People are working remotely, and we found that uh, remote work is one of the biggest risk areas for people who will leave the job is remote workers. And um, our research showed two in five employees are currently thinking of leaving their employer. So, as a recruitment business, yes, it's great to see this churn of people, but of course, you've got to have the people to take advantage of those opportunities. So the, it's a double-edged sword for you. I think that is exactly it. It's that piece about the the kind of the challenge that uh, that you face in terms of shaping an offer. And it brings you right back to the real basics of employment, doesn't it? Which is what makes people want to join me? What makes people want to stay with me? What makes people want to get things done for me? You know, that whole thing about attraction, retention, motivation. And as as recruiters with clients, what we're increasingly finding is that clients are looking beyond pure fulfillment, not just give us some candidates, but give us some candidates that we can onboard in the right way and help us with that. Um, and and help us understand which pools of candidates we want to attract and how we attract them. And of course, benefits are a big part of that. Um, not just actually with clients for recruiters, but with yeah, kind of there are there are 
100,000 people who work in the industry in the UK and attracting and retaining people to work in recruitment is a big challenge. You know, I, when I go around the country, it's one often the first things uh, leaders and managers of recruitment firms say to me. So what can an employer do within the kind of field you're looking at, at MMB to uh, to really step up on that piece around attraction, retention and motivation? Really good question. There's one thing I think that as employers, we've got to get our head around very early on, which is the changing nature of the employee-employer contract. And I don't mean the written contract of employment. I mean the psychological contract. In the past, it was about basic needs. Give me some pay, perhaps give me some benefits. Running into the pandemic, it was much more about psychological. Give me recognition. What we're finding now is that Actually, that contract is all about the well-being agenda. So the first thing I think as an employer we've got to do is start thinking about well-being and anything we're doing benefits-wise, what's its well-being impact? And the biggest well-being area that I can think of is financial well-being because financial stress is one of the biggest causes of mental illness. Financial stress causes not just mental illness, it then manifests in physical illness, and probably creates social isolation. So getting the head round the, the issue that its well-being is the agenda for people. And in the under 45s, it's the second biggest issue is work-life balance and concern about burnout. And interestingly, in recent survey we did, 50% of employees said at the end of a typical working day, so this is not an excessive working day, a typical working day, they feel exhausted. So that's the first thing I'd say. Second, tell, sell your total reward. Make sure you're talking about everything you do and not just the tangible things that have a pound sign against them, the pension scheme, the salary, but also the intangibles, um, sort of culture you have, the events that you run for people, fruit bowls in the office, those sort of things. And also think about things in the value from an employee perspective rather than the cost from an employer perspective. And what I mean by that, think about life assurance. Everybody on this call, I'm sure, will have had at some point a life assurance that they took out associated with a mortgage. When you do that, you're buying as a retail customer. So you're paying the cost, which is risk rated related to you as an individual, and therefore, because the underwriter has no pull to offset it against, you're going to be paying top dollar. And you're paying that top dollar out of post-tax and post-national insurance earnings. If, on the other hand, as an employer, I provide for my employees' life insurance, they pay no tax on it, they pay no national insurance, and I, as an employer, I'm buying at wholesale rates, which is subsidised by the fact that, A, I've got a pool of employees, and B, that. Um, insurance underwriter I'm going to has a lot of employees that pull so they can actually look at national statistics rather than looking at me as an individual. So benefit that perhaps costs us a half percent of pay could have two or three percent of pay value for an employee. So you see I think that is really important as a uh, as a way to think about this which is that the the benefits of scale that you have as an employer, even as an employer with, you know, 15, 20, 25 people, you know, the benefits are not going to be as big as if you're the NHS. Um, 
but that the, there are things you can do which are effective at, at saving money for your staff um with well um yeah uh, well not costing the earth I mean, one of the you know one of the things we often talk about uh, to REC uh, corporate members is REC professional, which is the individual professional membership of the REC. But you know, agencies who buy that enable some savings for their for their staff that will help in the kind of cost of living crisis. And there are a range of other uh, the other ways that you can take action as a, a as a firm. But I mean, all of that speaks to the fact that even if you're buying more efficiently than your staff can you are still buying and we're in a position where companies costs are increasingly pressurized and of course pressure on you know the core part of the pay bill which is salary um where pay uh, the pay awards have been inching up for a good year now we're seeing five six percent in some places four five in in others what is there is there that maybe listeners can do with their firms to support their employers that may that, that won't break the bat, bank or or won't kind of bake in an ever-increasing salary bill? Good question, Neil. And I think the first one, and I, I always feel a little bit embarrassed because I think everybody should know about this, but increasingly I've become aware that they aren't, which is salary exchange. The concept of reducing pay to receive a benefit. And the obvious one for all firms is your employees' pension contribution. Instead of them paying them out of post-tax and post-national insurance earnings, they can pay them out of pre-tax, pre-national insurance by reducing their pay and the employer taking on the burden for paying that pension contribution. That deal creates benefit for the employee because they save national insurance and if they're a high-rate taxpayer, they immediately get high-rate tax relief. The employer equally saves national insurance. So that's an obvious one, and it can apply to pension. Also, a lot of us are interested in the environment and doing our bit to make the world more sustainable. Electric vehicles, salary exchange could be used for electric vehicles as well. So there's some things we can do there, but the lowest cost thing that you can do for your employees is actually communicate with them and educate them about benefits, about financial well-being. And just to give some simple examples, there are still interest-free credit cards out there. So if you are paying 24% a year or 2% a month on a maxed out credit card, transfer it to an interest-free one. The money you are paying, put it into savings, put it into helping to boost your um, ongoing cost of living. So there are things that employees can do, which we as employers can generate the direction of travel for them just by simple education. We do a lot of um, webinars, seminars for employers. It's a very low cost resource issue. Using webinars means we can connect with all the employees, irrespective of whether they're remote, they're um, working in an office, or they're working on a hybrid basis. That, for me, communicate and educate has the biggest impact. And just taking through my career, one thing I've seen throughout, I've seen employers that provide fantastic benefits. They're really great, comprehensive, virtually anything you could think of, they do. And the employees are actually completely disengaged. 
And then I've seen other employers who provide something just above the basic, but the employees are really satisfied. And the difference always is about communication. So two things for me, spend smart, salary exchange being one, but also take a look, get an expert in to take a look at all your benefits, your pension. Are you paying over the um, odds? If you set it up more than three years ago, the likelihood is you are. And then think about communicating and educating with your staff. And that education thing leads to one other thing that I'm really concerned about with the cost of living squeeze, which is that employees, their three biggest reactions to cost of living squeeze, the first one is reduced spending. Well, yeah, that's a tick in the box for me. Makes sense. And actually, let's face it, how many of us have got multiple subscriptions to streaming services when actually probably one would do? But then the other two um, interventions are reduced savings or draw on savings. Both of those create massive downstream risk because if they don't have enough built up the savings, how are they ever going to be able to afford to retire? And what we want as employers is people who want to be at work. We don't want people who are at work because they can't afford not to be. That's a really good point. And if you think about um, you know, why we set up uh, corporate pension schemes in the first place, it was all about giving people the opportunity to uh, uh, to retire on their terms when they were ready to. Um, and in the old days, that was the normal retirement age, whether it was 60 or 65. These days, in the absence of a default retirement age, um, people can work on and, and we're very keen that people do work on if they if that's what they want to do. But there comes a point where uh, you want people who would like to retire to be able to retire. And the pension scheme uh, or the pension offering is a, is a really important way of doing that. Interesting you talk about education. I think education communication really important. But actually the whole piece around inertia matters as well you know if you get something via your workplace because your workplace pushes it you're more likely to take part in it and more likely to keep it than if you go and buy as a retail customer the great principle of pensions reform a decade ago over a decade ago uh, was that uh, people would be auto people who weren't currently being automatically enrolled into their employer's pension scheme uh, and weren't taking the action to join if you automatically enrolled them they wouldn't take the action to leave. And that has been proved to be the case. So there's there's a lot about if you make it easy for people, as well as that you communicate, you can get some really good engagement and really good upside. And people, you know, when people are facing offers from elsewhere, and I see this in flexible working as well as in benefits, increasingly they look beyond the salary offer and they think, can I replicate the things that really matter to me here? in my new job and if the answer is no then that is an incredibly powerful retention tool just before we finish though steve i'm going to ask you one question which is what what's business's blind spot on this if you look at kind of the over three thousand uh recruitment businesses that are rec members they will understand a lot uh, a lot of the basic tools they have for uh, for engagement of employees and benefits. What what are the most common things that uh, that maybe businesses overlook? Well, for me, the biggest blind spot I think is health. Um, mm. I think it was Sakir Starmer, um, but there's a load of um, research that um, also gave, gives this number. But um, after the budget. He said 7 million people on NHS waiting lists, average wait 14 weeks. So 
Think of that. Think of your top recruiter. They're ill. They need treatment. Now, they might still be able to come to work, but remember when you've ever been ill and, and not something like a cough or a cold, something that is pretty serious that you, you're not sure what it is. Think about that worry. Think about how much that impacts on your day, how much it impacts on your effectiveness. Yet we find that health, sickness are not necessarily big agendas for particularly SME employers. Yet there's lots that we can do. Um, so simple things like making availability of um, apps that will give access to uh, virtual GPs. You can use a cash plan to get people so that they can get in to see a medical specialist ahead of the queue. Okay, it's not full um, health insurance, but it doesn't have the cost of medical insurance. It's sort of pounds per week. So there are things we can do, but it does tend to be a blind spot. The other blind spot I'm concerned about is this whole connection of changing nature of work, artificial intelligence, and a concept known as the 100-year life, which effectively the um, stats are that um, today a child born in the West has a uh, greater than 50% chance of living beyond 105 scale that back, we've still got people who are currently in the workplace whose life expectancy is well into the late 90s. When we think about pensions and when they were first set up, it was free score and 10. You did your education probably to age 16, maybe 18 if you were very clever. You then worked until you were 65 and your life expectancy was something like 75. So you were working for over 40 years to sustain yourself for 10. We now are faced with the concept of working for maybe 40 years to sustain ourselves for 40 years. It's just not viable. And how do we get these people to be able to actually take the time away to retrain when artificial intelligence takes their job? It's easier to retain our existing people and retrain them, but we need some means of making sure that they can sustain themselves through that period of um, retraining. So that's a big blind spot for me again, health and longevity, Neil. I think that's really powerful. You know, when you talk about the workforce in 2050, you kind of have to start with the principle that most of the workforce of 2050 went to work today. Um, and when once you understand that concept, it becomes more uh, powerful in terms of all the thinking you need to think about, about retaining employability. And the piece on health is, of course, linked to that because healthy ageing is incredibly important. But and I entirely see the the fact that we need to bust some of these benefit discussions out of just being nice things that we do for the employees because the employees benefit and into things that we do for the corporate because the corporate benefits. And I'll give you a really basic example of that. At the REC, we fund for everyone who's not covered by the NHS, the flu jab every year. And we require two days, either one member of staff who's not off, who would have been off for two days or two members of staff each being off for a day less to pay for it. And it, it massively pays for itself over and over every year. Um, and, and you can scale that up to the kinds of cash plans and so forth that you were talking about. Um, there's a lot here, but it's also complex, particularly for smaller businesses. So Steve, just to close, 
if we were talking to you know the owner or manager of a a recruitment business with 20 staff or 30 staff who are thinking about how do I do this at my scale and not at the scale of a kind of FTSE listed staffing firm, where would you start? Well, the first point is I would start with an audit um, and uh, in partnering with the REC, MMB have an audit process. So we can take anybody through a complimentary audit, which will look at what they do at the moment, look at blind spots, look at how it all relates to the corporate goals, where you're trying to go, and then look at how we can procure. And the you know, you've picked a sweet spot there for us. Mercer Marsh Benefits is one of the biggest benefit um, advisors in the world. So we've got huge buying power. Our commercial practice uses that to create benefits that mimic and reflect what is going on in the FTSE 100, but at costs that are feasible for small entities. Because what we do is we create preferred provider arrangements, which will enable us to pull the buying power of all our small companies. And just to give you one example, we can create a group life assurance scheme. So this is a life assurance scheme that is wholesale costed rather than retail costed for one person. So think about that as potentially somebody who's setting up a new business. You want life assurance, you can actually get it and be ready for the growth of your business as it grows, but you can provide it for yourself at that point. So there's some great things we can do. But as I say, the start point is always an audit. Find out what you've got, understand it, look at how it connects with what you want to do as a business and deal that point you made. These benefits are great for the employees. It is a really important part of what we offer. But ultimately, it's a partnership because it's got to be something that takes the business in the direction it wants to go. It underpins the business's direction of travel. Once we've done that, the other thing that I think is really important is as part of education and communication, survey. Understand what employees want. So basically, I've got a watchword that I stole from a chap called Steve Black, who was Johnny Wilkinson's personal coach. Find out what people want and prescribe it to them. Because if you offer people things they want, they'll love it. You offer them things they don't value, you may as well not bother. No, Steve, that's a great place to... uh to end because of course uh, i come from an employee relations part of the hr world rather than a uh, rather than human resources management piece and i always think the answer is you know how do you blend what you need as an employer with what employees want so hugely good place to finish and as you mentioned uh if uh, listeners want to have a look at uh what they're doing if they seek out mercer, mercer marsh benefits on the rec website's partner page that complimentary review is is available from them via there steve thank you so much for joining us today i've really enjoyed that chat thank you neil it's been a pleasure talking with you well thank you steve really enjoyed that discussion of 
benefits and what REC members can be doing. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the REC podcast, why not dig into our back catalogue a little bit? Uh, in the last episode, episode four for 2023, we looked uh, at uh, at another aspect of workplace well-being, uh, effective practices in the workplace with Sahil Mirza, who's the non-executive director at New Cross Healthcare. And if you'd like to score the REC's advocacy and how we did in the budget and our budget lobbying and also see what we're calling for from the Chancellor and the Prime Minister through the course of uh, the early part of 2023. Episode three for this year with my colleague Sam Beggs and I discussing uh, the run up to the uh, spring budget is well worth a listen. Even now we know the results uh, from the Chancellor on the 15th of March hope you enjoyed those episodes. I hope you enjoyed this one with Steve and I look forward to you joining us again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash Talking Recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.